What's going on, everyone? Alex De Silva. I hope you are well. And I'm excited about this one. I'm very excited about this one. I don't want to do the uh, the introduction disservice, but I'm going to try. So I've got Peter. I'm so looking forward to this one. I'm actually very excited. Peter is a peak performance, strategic and athletic coach, wrestler, biohacker, sales and marketing specialist, elite competitor and fitness model. Also, an all around really, really incredible guy. And one person who I've been really looking forward to bringing to the podcast, not just for us to have a really good conversation, but also as well, I'm really interested and keen for you guys, the listeners, to hear his story. When I talk about mental health, when I talk about overcoming adversity, when I talk about you as an individual, how you can become anything, Peter's going to show you that. Peter, welcome to the show. How you doing? Doing great. Thank you, Adam. That was awesome. Good to see you, man. Really excited. Really, really excited. Look, I always like to just kind of start from the beginning. You've got such an incredible history and and kind of just wealth of knowledge across so many things. You've always kind of inspired me with, with the things that you do. Let's start from the beginning. You know, talk about, you know, your your childhood, growing up, actually, even from the day you were born, you know, let's kind of go back to, to, to that story and take us through that so people can really understand who, who Peter really is. Okay. Um, that is a interesting way to start. Um, only because I didn't really understand. I didn't really know my story of origin. Initially, I had to go in and dig for it. And I did it when I was 27, 27 years old. Mm -hmm. which is uh you know most people know where where they came from most people know you know how they were born um these were things that i was trying to tie in because i was adopted from costa rica by the time i was eight and so there were things that um that i grew up um listening to that i believed that i had to dig and find for myself to see whether they were true um so for me once i reconnected with my birth mother uh, she's in Costa Rica still. And um, I ended up calling her and I, I asked her, so tell me a little bit about, you know, my birth, you know, you know, what time it was. I, I was just curious about, you know, specifics. And I mean, her story just blew me away. She already had two kids at the time. And uh, her husband, who I was named after, he was going back and forth from Costa Rica and Nicaragua finding work. So he was in Nicaragua at this time when she was, um, Nicaragua while she was um, in labor. So she took a horse. She was living in the mountains in the mm -hmm. country, a horse to a bus stop. The bus picked her up, took her to the main, to the capital, San Jose, uh, dropped her off from the bus stop. She took a taxi. Now this whole time she's carrying two, two babies. She's pregnant. Um, and then she got to the hospital. She had me at the middle of the night, one, 1.30, sometime, somewhere around that time frame. And then the next morning, she was relieved from the hospital. So she had to take me and two <laughs> other kids strapped onto her back wow. home. All this being in October, which is the heaviest season, the heaviest month of rain. It's the middle of the month. Uh, I was born October 14th. And what's dangerous about Costa Rica at that time is you – you, they experienced a lot of landslides, a lot mm -hmm. of torrential storms. 
And so that was going on. Um, so when she went back, took a taxi back to the to the bus stop, bus stop back to where she dropped off the horse. The horse wasn't there. So she walked back home carrying three three kids. It was the middle of the night. Uh, she said it was the middle of the night by that time. Wow. Yeah. And in the mountains there in Costa Rica, you you can hear um jaguars mm. were all you know making their sounds trying to lure people in i mean so it's so it was a dangerous time for you know to be out there three babies mm. yeah. um so but yeah that's where i i feel i have that inherent will and strength that mm. that comes from my mother yeah my mother. yeah i mean we've only just started and wow man i mean this is you know two things i think you know so much love and you know and and light to your mom you know for for her courage you know to go off and do things like that latin women have a certain power you know i grew up in brazil and my grandmother had 13 kids <laughs> and uh and i was like the 14th i was like the 14th child you know i was born out of uh, out of wedlock didn't know my father so when I hear stories like this, you know, it always sends a, a shiver because, you know, there are certain women who just have that unconditional love and unconditional power where they'll go through, you know, to any lengths, you know, to to protect us and, and to look after us, you know, go into that story because, you know, things obviously changed, right, for, for, for mom and, and circumstances weren't always easy. So what happened shortly after that, my father, he was working as a ranch hand for many, for many different uh, ranchers at that time, uh, employers. And so he was trying to make ends meet. So he started stealing cattle, calves. So he would take them from one ranch to another, sell them. Mm -hmm. And he got caught in, in Costa Rica. When that happens, the penalty for that is death. And so... He got the electric chair. Oh, wow. And it was something that I believe was handled by the ranchers themselves, by the employers. Mm -hmm. So it, it was pretty much of a, a sudden occurrence. Uh, and with my mother, she helped him work on the farm as well. So he found work for her as well. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't do the traveling when she had four kids at this time. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was his family... He had he had brothers and siblings that were that came down, crossed the border, picked up the two eldest kids, Virginia and Paul, and raised them as their own. Took them back up north to Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. um, but with me and my younger brother, we were under many more circumstances, and you know more people getting involved and and you know getting the authorities involved. We were put we were placed in an orphanage. So I remember, I mean, as far as I can remember, I think I was maybe three and a half, maybe four. I wow. was in an orphanage. My memory started in an orphanage. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. And how long How long were you there for? And, and what was that experience for someone, you know, being at home with, with mom and, and dad, all of a sudden things just, and, and I guess for us, especially being little, things seem to always happen so quickly, you know, Um what was that experience like for you when, you know, you got taken away from, from mom and, and you were in that, that orphanage? Well, for me, I don't remember being taken away. 
Right. I, I, the, as far as I can remember, I, I remember growing up in an orphanage, mm-hmm. but whenever I would run away and I, I had my younger brother too, that I was taking care of as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was an innate responsibility mm-hmm. of taking care of him. He was like the only thing I had to take care of mm-hmm. and I was responsible for, but there were times when I would run away from the orphanage and I'd take him along with me. We just found the door that the gate was cracked and we take that opportunity mm-hmm. and we run to this house and that's where our mom was. Okay. I just, I just knew where she was somehow. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was quite interesting. And how but, old were you uh, then? I was, I was probably between five and six when I was doing that, when I was running away, and seven. Yeah, wow. my, my 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 seven my seventh year was during the uh, the adopt ad- adoption process. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of that stopped there. Yeah. But yeah. I just knew where she was. And isn't that fascinating? You know, we, we always know where home truly is, right? And I think there is this, this heart soul connection that we have, you know, especially to, to our birth mothers that it's almost like a, a beacon, you know, we know exactly where to go and, and how to, to sort of, to reconnect. Um, how was that kind of experience for you, you know, in the orphanage? Cause I know from, having listened to, to your story before things kind of got a little bit dark um and and sort of heavy would you sort of share that you know um experience as well and um what it was like for you at that time uh from a dark and heavy standpoint uh i, I just knew that i was the one person that you know everybody needed to speak to whenever it regarded me and my brother uh whenever we would go to school. We we always found ourselves being bullied. We were pretty small for Costa Ricans for, for the little kids. Mm-hmm. And so we developed this defensive nature, or at least I taught my, my younger brother how to defend himself mm-hmm. many times. Um, it was funny because there were a lot of kids that tried to bully me that I just flipped, you know, flipped that narrative on their head. And I, I ended up turning the situations around and they ended up becoming my good friends uh, and also kind of like little mafia protectors for my brother as well. Mm. A fun scenario was during Halloween, um, my, we, we didn't get a lot of gifts, but when we did, we would, we'd keep it for a day and then we tear it up just because that's just how, that's how we valued things. We, we really didn't value them that much, but for that moment, mm. and we didn't want to share that value with anybody else because we, we just weren't good at sharing as kids. Um, so like we got, we get teddy bears. Some, somebody, the first person to get it would have their time with it and then tear up, tear off a limb or an ear or whatever. And then, you know, it's like, nobody wants the bear anymore. <laughs> so my younger brother found a cape and I think I'm not sure. I can't remember if it was a red cape. It, it was, it was some that reminded him of Superman. So mm-hmm. it's Halloween. So he was running around like Superman and the oldest kid uh, saw that he was having fun with it. And so he ripped it off his neck. And so I found him crying around the corner of the house or something. And I was like, dude, what's wrong? He's like, you know, Fabian, you know, stole my cape. And that kind of infuri- infuriated me. I was half Fabian's age. Mm. And uh, I remember finding him, but I found like a stick or like some some rebar or something lying around. Mm. And his back was towards me. He was hanging out with the, with the other kids. 
Um, and I smacked him like behind the legs or something. Mm. And like it put him down to his knees and, you know, he was crying and I just ripped it right off his, his neck. <laughs> and I gave it back right back <laughs> to my younger brother. And so, you know, from that moment on, you know, he never picked on us. Mm. In fact, he rescued, he, there was a time when he was walking Ben to school and there was a dog that chased him and right. Ben was the slowest mm. and it got to Ben and munched him right on the buns. Mm. And so Paul Beyond ended up turning around choking the dog and releasing him. And, you know, he was able to get Ben home safe. But, you know, when I heard about that story, I was like, good, that should have happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you start running faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, is a, yeah. So two points to that story. <laughs> Thanks for doing that and get quicker on your legs. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So, yeah. And then there was another scenario. It, it always happened around Halloween for some reason, because I think that that's something that was really um, for us in the orphanage. That's when we would get candy. That was mm-hmm. when all the free you know, candy, all the toys were, you know, would come to us. And so in the classrooms, we'd have this pinata and the kids would break it open and uh, everybody would have a basket ready to fill. I would always, I somehow would find two baskets. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, shoving kids around and I would get my all, if most, not all the candy. And because I knew that Ben wasn't going to get any, he was going to, he was going to get shoved around in his class. Mm. And so whenever I left class and I had my two little buckets of candy, he was sitting on the steps crying. His bucket was empty. And I was like, dude, what you crying about? It's like, all the kids shoved me around. You know, I didn't get any candy. I was like, don't worry. Here you go. Yeah. So I always had something extra for him. Yeah, yeah. And that's such an amazing spirit, you know, at such a young age as well, you know, to have that that protection for 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 someone. And it's really interesting because I've got um I've got four children. So uh my son's gonna be wow, 25 this Sunday. My daughter turned 18, and then I've got the two little ones who's four and sixteen months. And <laughs> my daughter is hilarious, the 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 four-year-old. My son, he's a little monkey. He's like me. He he he's learnt now to walk, so he's walking everywhere, and he he likes to to shake the TV because he gets excited. So thankfully, it's a big TV, but he likes to shake it. So every now and then, I have to go, Junior, don't do that. And I yeah. grabbed him by the arm the other day, and he just kind of lost his step and fell on his bum. Ruby got really protective, and she's like, Daddy, don't do that. And I sort of I was a bit confused by what she had said, and I'd realized what had happened. And I like to always communicate with my children so they understand what the scenario is. And I said, oh, don't worry, baby, daddy just wants to move him to make sure that the TV doesn't fall on him. And as soon as it clicked, she's like, okay, daddy, that's cool. And it's it's interesting, isn't it? That that unconditional love, you know, even as we're, as we're children, doesn't matter what we have, you know, financially, materialistically, you know, anything like that, as long as we have a roof over our head, we know we're safe, we're warm, you know, we've got some some food and, and water, things that we can have. But that number one thing is is that partnership, that um, camaraderie amongst friends, even when sometimes you have to have those punch-ups to say, well, no, you're not going to be doing that to me, but we can still be friends. But then you've got that that one person, you know, that I can rely on you and you can rely on them and, and you're there to to protect them. Um in your in your sort of continual journey, you know, what kind of happened with with you then coming to 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 the US? Well, we 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 faced some very similar situations that we did in Costa Rica, you know, with, with bullies. Mm-hmm. Um I always stepped in as well. And 
you know, but we, we were always, we became a little bit more separate only because we had different classes and the, the systems were a little bit different. Uh, we were also encouraged not to speak Spanish anymore because the Spanish that we spoke was a slang. So from what I remember and whenever I relearned my Spanish and I went, when I went to Spain to, to my study abroad, I realized our Spanish had some Italian in it. It had some Portuguese in it. Mm. And um, and then, uh, you know, you're obvious we had some curse, curse words that we were saying that we just weren't aware of saying, that we were saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we were encouraged, yeah, we should probably stop speaking that Spanish because they're cussing the other kids out that they, they don't know what they're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. But so, so with um, your your journey to America, your your adopted mum came to, 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 to visit Costa Rica, right? And um, how, what was that kind of journey? And, and for you as well, I guess going through through that process, and were, was your brother with you throughout the that whole time as well? He was. Yeah, if there was anybody adopting us, it was going to be the both of us, and I made that clear when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody wanted to talk to Ben, I had to be around. Um, if anybody was going to talk to me individually, we had to have Ben join me. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was kind of like uh, I was the the person that they had to go through and vet. <laughs> and they they you know they had to buy the the full package not half the package yeah, so yeah. uh with uh the woman that came down she was she volunteers and she, she would send some funds to the orphanage uh through charity and stuff mm-hmm. she would come and visit and she'd bring presents um she would sit down with all the kids and um uh, yeah we were just drawn to her you know god 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 used God uses people for, for many things. So he used her for our adoption. Uh, one of the things that happened with, with her, um, was she, well, she would come down and she would bring us, she'd take us on these little excursions over the weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she, she, she picked us, she handpicked us specifically. Mm-hmm. And so we started to grow a relationship with her and she became, you know, eventually she became our mother. Our wow. Yeah. And when did you make that that transition into to, to the US? So because of the um, the systems there, uh, they had adoptions were closed in Costa Rica for about five years, roughly. Um, so it was hard to get anybody adopted out of Costa Rica at that time. Mm-hmm. There was a big scare about, you know, people um, harvesting organs and stuff like that. So that was a you know, big issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would take kids, you know, and kids would go missing and then, you know, voila, here are some harvested organs. So yeah, yeah. it was, just, it was some pretty creepy stuff, but yeah. uh, it, it took about 11 months for that, for that whole, uh, the, the adoption to, to realize. And then we came to the United States I was seven years old in, uh, in 1999, October, October 8th. It was my adopted sister's birthday. So she, she got us for her birthday. Oh, wow. Came to the United States, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that? Cause it's, and, and, and I'd love to always hear people's stories. Cause like you, you know, I grew up in Brazil and when I came to the UK, it was a very different experience for me, you know, because for me, I had so much freedom. You know, I had yeah. so much freedom when I was in Brazil. 
um, over there, and I'm not sure what it was like in, in Costa Rica, but, you know, you either go to school in the morning or the afternoon. And I always tried to go in the morning. So then I had the rest of the afternoon and my friends did the same. And we'd go out into the streets and, you know, go on our BMXs or <clears throat> skateboards, whatever it is, and, you know, just go be kids, right? But coming to the UK, it's a very different story because you go to school at, Eight eight thirty, and you don't leave until three three. Yeah, about three thirty, I think it is. And then you've got art of school clubs, so on and so forth. And also, as well, the other thing which really freaked me out is when you get to about eleven twelve, when you start to go to to secondary school, uh, you have to wear a uniform. So you're with blazer, shirt, tie. It's it's it was completely different um, for me. So that kind of threw me. What was your experience because i know the us you don't have to kind of wear the blazer and tie they're not as as, as strict but culturally was that a, a shock or did you just absolutely love the experience De definite culture shock in fact whenever i first stepped on uh, us soil right after we got off the plane i said hello to the security officer i was very like an open kid and uh it was, it's interesting because when I speak in Spanish, I'm very extroverted. When I speak in English, I, I'm almost introverted. So it's, it's really weird. But I said hello to the security officer who was, you know, in the security lines and he didn't say anything back to me. I was like, okay, all righty. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it is because I said hello to him in Spanish and, you know, to him, he was, he was probably like, who's this kid? Like he's in the U S he's, you know, speak English. Mm. So uh, I think that's that was my initial response was to kind of just okay we're gonna become a wallflower we're gonna just observe see how people uh, operate mm -hmm. you know with them with each other and um, yeah the same thing happened too because with school we, we would go in the morning Costa Rica we'd be let out let out in the afternoon you know all the afternoon just to do whatever we wanted basically mm. uh, and then in the u.s it was school until three mm. and we were waking up at 6 a.m just to hit the bus mm. and get on the bus and so that was a, a big change we weren't used to waking up that early mm. um and then with regards to to uniforms we didn't necessarily have to do the uniforms until we went to a private school okay. yeah and those were mandatory mm-hmm yeah they're, they're very similar similar experiences that you and i share on that front yeah and what was it like for you because you know you talked about some of the the, the bullying and you know, i think stresses that we, we all go through um what was that like here as well and did you speak english when you came to to the us or were you pretty much like me fresh off the boat and you couldn't speak a word yeah just fresh off the boat couldn't speak a word i understood uh, majority of it mm -hmm. speaking of it was the, the issue in fact we took six years of homeschooling just to learn english okay so we started in a bilingual elementary school mm -hmm. and then that's where we were that's where the teachers suggested that we stop the spanish just focus on english and then that's when we went and, be, and became homeschoolers mm -hmm. for six years <laughs> and what was that like the the sort of the homeschooling and I mean, it was a, uh, it was quite an experience. Uh, it allowed me to, to really kind of grow, grow at my own pace. Math became something that I would, just, just came so easy to me. Mm. Um, 
by the time I was, uh, we were done with homeschooling, we had just tested into a private school, the top private school in Texas. And I was going in with senior level math as a freshman. So I still had four years to go. So I was able to take some college credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, my senior year, I didn't even take math because they, mm-hmm. I, I took, you know, as, as much as I could mm-hmm. out there. So, um, and then that's also where we started our athletics because with homeschooling, you didn't really have um, ways to compete mm-hmm. uh, unless you were part of a club mm-hmm. or part of a school. Mm-hmm. And so we found, you know, the communities that were homeschooled and we would connect in that way. In fact, I guess the very first sport was swimming um, and it was through YMCA, mm-hmm. but we only, we we basically just did that for fun. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, you know, too much competition on that front. Mm. Did you always have that competitive edge and that that kind of drive? Or was it something which you sort of found when you started to kind of do the swimming and fell into into the wrestling? Um, a little bit, yes. Uh, I think that competitiveness really came through just growing up in the house with, um, with my brother. And we, we ended up having our older siblings. They were adopted as well about a okay. year and a half later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So my oldest brother became or added to that competition. We were very good at video games, um, Mm -hmm. multiplayer games. I would win the majority of them, but, you know, they would level up too. And so it it was just a way, you know, for we just build that competition from the home. Mm -hmm. And whenever we started in high school, then we that's when we were ready to to basically let it out. Mm -hmm. Um, We just didn't know what sports we were going to be good in. We knew mm-hmm. we were good runners, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, we really didn't have much to base that off of other than Boy Scouts. <laughs> uh-huh. We did Boy Scouts for a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's, that's interesting. I did the Boy Scouts as well. When, when I was, when I was little, I was a cub first, then did the Boy Scouts. Um, but I got kicked out cause I was cheating. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> yeah. I was being a bit cheeky and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, you have to learn, right? You've got to live and learn these things. Right. And, um, and then, and then eventually I came to the UK anyway. So, so things changed, but um, I love, I'm a huge fan of, of UFC, MMA, you know, I've, I've been, you know, in martial arts, even if it's kind of learning on my own from the days of Bruce Lee, you know, Van Damme, like all of those kind of big action films, to then eventually going into it myself. So I I learn a lot around uh, the wrestling part, you know, through watching UFC, especially kind of like the big American competitors. Um, how did you come about, you know, wrestling and, and what was that like for you? Was it like an immediate, right, I found my home or did you get your ass kicked a few times and went, what am I doing here? Um, that's an interesting question because I learned about wrestling initially when I started at this at uh, the private school. Once we were done with homeschooling, we tested in um, that the summer in between, they typically had like an athletic program where all the kids would come in and just it, it, it would just be a program just to keep kids on their toes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's where we initially were able to base where we were competitively on a, on a running standpoint, stamina standpoint uh, with other kids our age. 
And we found that we were very fast. And so here in Texas, football is huge. So mm. huge uh, football takes like most of the, the, um, the eyes, I guess the, the attention. Mm. And, but this, the coach, the offensive coach for the football team looked at me and my brother. And he's like, you guys would be some really good wrestlers. And this guy's, he wrestled up in, uh, Wisconsin and he was a state champion. Wow. Okay. And so he had a background in wrestling and, and I guess he just saw the drive that we had and he knew a little bit more about what was going on because he was part of the athletic program and he knew there was going to be a wrestling program that was going to start that year. Mm-hmm. We didn't know. We heard about wrestling. We knew it was like, oh, well, you can compete at your weight class. So by the, at that time, I was skin and bones. I was like 5'8". I weighed 120 pounds. <laughs> okay. So um, for me, football wasn't a good strategy. I mean, yeah. if you get landed on a kid just the wrong way, like somebody lands on an ankle, mm. you know, that's, it's, it's over. So mm. I was like, uh, let me just, uh, let's, let's do cross country first, see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see what, what, what comes in in winter. And so when cr- cross country was going on, it's also football season. So I was able to run, I made varsity, um, which was awesome. I, I, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty easy. And so it, it wasn't easy at all. I just, it was, it was just a small school. So whenever I ran against other schools, I was like, okay, well, I need to start picking up, you know, my game here a little bit. Yeah. And just for, yeah. just for the UK listeners, what is varsity? So you have different, it's, it's like uh, starters versus B players versus C players. Right. Are you a starter or are you one of the, get, or are you a backup? Mm-hmm. So like for football or soccer, in your, mm-hmm. your case, it's mm-hmm. who starts and who plays most of the games and mm-hmm. who's, who's the leavers and then who are the, all the other fillers and practice mm-hmm. partners. And you, you actually get that in wrestling as well, because mm-hmm. there's only one guy who wrestles per for the school per weight class. Um, so that's where the similarity is with, mm-hmm. with soccer up there in the UK. Yeah. But uh, football season is the same time as cross country. So whenever we're we were watching the football games. Um, I would go in and support and just kind of to watch. I, I, I really wasn't much of a, uh, I didn't really enjoy watching it much. So I would kind of hang around, you know, the other kids and stuff. And one of them was getting bullied. And um, I stepped up to his bully. And this kid was also in my grade. He was one of the popular kids too. Mm-hmm. And he he was just trying to instigate more and i was like oh well i'm right here let's 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 get it going and this is a private school i could easily get kicked out i just got here (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm about to tear this kid up and so he goes and gets another kid and it's a smaller kid but this he was he carried himself a little bit differently Mm. and um, apparently that the year before they had a wrestling club he was he was the star of the wrestling club and so I was like, okay, well, he, he, he talked his smack. I talked my smack. And, uh, I learned later that he was the wrestler. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to join the wrestling team. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to show this kid up. And so whenever wrestling season came around, we jumped in and he was my training partner. <laughs> wow. There you I go. Probably the first week mm-hmm. before I, it started to get even. 
And from then on, it was, I just enjoyed the sport. I, 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 I didn't even go in to, to beat him up anymore. I just went in to learn. Yeah. So that just became, you know, my new passion mm. and it stuck. And, um, we went to state, it was the first year for the program. So we didn't know how, how to make, how to officially weigh in, how to do any of this, you know, other, uh, minutia that the administration had to do to make sure that the, the wrestlers were doing things safely. Mm-hmm. So whenever I wrestled at state, which is the ultimate competition, mm-hmm. they bumped me up a weight class. And I was like, well, I'm here. So I might as well wrestle. Mm-hmm. And I rather, I ended up taking third. The guy who won it was the, ended up being a national champ, but I learned so much from him. I couldn't do anything. Wow. And that's who I sh- I strive to be more like, I was like, I want to be the wrestler that just basically knows all the positions, all the situations and just can put his opponent in so many positions just to score. And then it's over, you know? Mm. And uh, yeah. And then for the next three years, I was finding camps programs that I could, you know, let level up the craft. Mm. And you just then immerse yourself in that and take me on that, on that journey where it's kind of taken you. Cause I almost want to say the O word, but I don't really want to spoil it. I want to find the journey first and then sort of lead into, into uh, sort of current times of what that could potentially be looking like for you for, uh, for next year. It's next yeah. year, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So. so um, that first program that we found just was a state North of us in Oklahoma. And it was an intensive training camp, uh, wrestling camp, um, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, it was led by uh, the head coach there. He's a six-time world champ, two-time gold medalist. He did it consecutive years, six years in a row. And uh, I went up there, and 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 in fact, my training partner went up there with me, and uh, we learned we learned a lot. Um, it it just I I don't know my my younger brother didn't like it as much at the time, or I guess he wasn't ready. Mm-hmm you know, to immerse himself that much. So I, I was the only one in the family who went and it's a 10 day program. And on the 10th day, you finish with a 12 mile run. Yeah. So it's that's like, tasty. That's, that, that's a 20 K. Yeah. That's a 20 K. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was the second one done every year. I was always second or third. There was always one kid who was faster than I was. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I learned and that that exposed me to even more mm. uh, kids who were coming in from from different states. And I learned that Texas wasn't one of the high ranking states in wrestling at all. We were mm-hmm. great in football, but mm-hmm. uh, when you when you got to wrestle and partner with kids from Pennsylvania, you, you learned a couple of things or two, you know, from those kids. And I did that every summer until uh, until I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And what does it take? Because you mentioned there a number of times about taking second, taking second. There was always that one person there. And a lot of people, even if it's just in their day to day, you know, people are like, yeah, I'm comfortable. You know, I'm good. I'm happy. And mediocrity, you know, has become the best thing ever. And but I've kind of learned and you've shown through the hard times, you know, sort of growing up and everything that had happened 
that there is a, a, a next stage. There is the next stage. What does it take? What did it take you to go from? Because I'm sure for you and just you talking, for, I get I get frustrated because I know what it feels like, especially when you're competitive and you want to do more, you want to do better. That there is that thing, you know, in the mind, in the body where you're just like, you know, I'm not going to give up. What did it take you to go from that second to them being the the, the winner? Um, grit, you know, there's a sense of never quitting. Um, there's always another peak that must be climbed. And you, the good thing about being second and third is that, you know, it's not that far away. Mm. So, uh, it's almost motivating. Mm. Um, whenever I, whenever I graduated, I actually went to OK state my first mm-hmm. year and I was there on academic scholarship. Uh, I ended up applying late. So, but most of the kids that, that went in there and, uh, and applied for act, for uh, athletic scholarships for wrestling, these kids were nationally ranked all Americans. All Americans means you, you make the top eight at the big national tournaments. Wow. I never made it to the top eight. I was ranked top eight, but in, and that was in the, the private school sector. Mm-hmm. So I went up there and I walked on. Um, and as I trained with that group, I was in the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, this was the farthest from the top I had ever been. And so mm-hmm. that was, I was almost, I wouldn't say I was discouraged, but I, I knew where I was at in the midst of, you know, all, all the other athletes. So I was like, okay, I'm a little farther back. Let's, this is a day-to-day, you know, effort. We're going to grow 1% every day, 1% better. Luckily for me, I had, guys who were training for the london olympics near mm-hmm. my weight class 133 or 60 uh, kilograms was coleman scott he ended up taking bronze that year mm-hmm. um and then my training partner specifically who i would train with after all practices and they were much longer than than they are now mm-hmm. um he took fourth at world's the year before and he weighed like 10 pounds lighter than i did mm-hmm. but he would just throw me around like a rag doll and I was like, how is he doing this? And so mm-hmm. as as I developed in that one year, I felt like that one year, I learned more than I did in all four years of the prior uh, in high school prior. And so my identity started to change. And mm-hmm. school wasn't as important to me uh, at that time. So I was faced with a dilemma at that time too, because I went to school for academics. So my mm-hmm. parents... You know, they they basically told me, you know, you have one 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 or two choices. You stay here, you figure out how to pay for your education and you wrestle, or you come home and we pay for education and that's that. Mm. And they gave me basically like like an hour to make this decision. <laughs> and so this is about the time where I'm ending like my second semester and um I don't even know if I'm gonna stick around there just to train, mm-hmm. but that's when the season started for the international styles, freestyle mm-hmm. and Greco. Mm-hmm. And so my hopes were to stick around and stay there and then further mm-hmm. develop. I didn't go that route. I decided to pursue other people's dreams. And so uh-huh. I took the next seven years to get them off my back, finish school. I ended up finishing with two degrees, one in Spanish, one in, one in uh, biomedical engineering. And then two minors, one in mathematics and the other in 
mechanical and energy engineering. So mm -hmm. there were many things that um, that I did just to make sure I I had a safety net, basically. Yeah. Um, but when when I look back, and you know, I encourage uh, you know other people um, just to become the best version of themselves. You mm -hmm. go all in on, on not Plan B, Plan mm -hmm. A, because then you don't lose this time. So once I graduated in 2018, I looked for a job. I got into sales. I was done with engineering, um, at, at least, you know, for, for now. Yeah. So I, I wanted to develop different skill sets, communication specifically, mm -hmm. and sales was was one of the things that that was going to do that for me. And um, so I went through, you know, the different sales programs, selling in different verticals new home construction, physician recruitment, uh, logistics. Mm -hmm. And I faced a lot of success in every single one of them. Mm -hmm. um, different circumstances kind of allowed me to kind of change through. Mm -hmm. But then COVID hit. And that one was the one that kind of put me back on track with wrestling. Mm -hmm. I, I started listening to Audible books. One of the, my main ones when I would go around was David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. Yeah, and um, you know, I I followed a lot of his his instruction. He's like, don't don't listen to music while you work out, because you won't have it there when you when you need it mm. when you need to perform. So I would start running these fifteen mile runs, um, and start getting back into shape. And I did this within a two week period. I did four 15 mile runs, and I went to a point where I just couldn't run anymore because I had I had the same or similar stress fractures in my ankles mm. I'm running so much from not training at all to all of a sudden, you know, running yeah. these, <laughs> these uh, half marathons. Um, so, but while I was out there, I was praying and I was listening and I found that person that I lost, I guess that, that, uh, that hungry, mm -hmm. that hungry wolf mm. that was there for just, just biding his time, just waiting to come out. Mm. and i started wrestling we had the last chance qualifiers it came through in texas texas was the only state that had any open competition because of covid all the other states were shut down mm -hmm. so our team trials came down to texas and i had a three three days notice to cut 15 pounds and jump in and i uh, i wrestled greco which is a style like i thought i had an advantage in not not so much there's not a lot of experience that i had in greco other than in high school and that's when i you know i shut it down mm -hmm. 10 years coming in and wrestling these kids who were at that level was mm -hmm. different but i realized that i was just as strong as them just as fast as they were i just wasn't their technic technical mm -hmm. right so i was like okay so there's a lot of groundwork that i need to make up here mm -hmm. and so that's when i started locating and calling coaches um and seeing who was available my my area to train train with and yeah it started you know one one boulder after another i started moving them and clearing the path and and uh this last summer i ended up calling john smith again mm -hmm. he recognized my name he just he, he didn't know my face so i had and it was hard to get him on the phone because he has so many kids that are trying to get into that program mm -hmm. um and so he was doing a lot of the recruitment aspect of of the, the coaching job. And so, so 
I ended up finally getting his number. He sent me his his cell phone number and I texted him one day, said, Hey, I'm driving up. I'll be there at one. <laughs> and, and I caught him. I caught him in the meeting. He was just leaving. He's about to go to lunch. Caught him for like 30, 30 minutes. It took me four, four hours to drive up there. I spoke to him for 30 minutes and then I drove back. <laughs> but in that conversation, I told him, here are my goals. I have two years to get in the best shape that I can to compete at the Olympics. Mm. And I mean, I am capped to where I'm at. I can't find the room that's going to provide me the environment to grow. Mm. And I know this is the one that's going to do it for me. And so he just basically looked at me and said, well, if you're serious, then get, get on up here. And, um, but don't come for another, another two months. Cause there's no wrestling going on. It was the middle of summer. It was kind of mm. their break season. So that's when my wife and I ended up uh, packing our things from Texas and driving up and and uh, getting here for the first day of practice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've grown since a lot. I, I mean, can imagine. Because just to just for context, when did you stop wrestling? What age? I was 20. And when did you start wrestling again? I was 30 and like in, in by a week I was 31. Right. Yeah. So in 11, well, yeah. When I wrestled at OK State and I left and mm -hmm. then I came back to OK State, it was almost an 11th day, an 11 year period. 11 year period. Man. And that, and that goes to show, doesn't it? When the passion's there, the passion's there and you cannot put that fire out, right. you know? And when you sort of ignited that fire, you know, you, you talked about there, just kind of that resilience, just not giving up, you know, driving all the way up there just to, to, to go and have this meeting, just to be there face to face. Cause you know what the challenges are. You know, there's going to be so many other kids, younger kids as well, you know, who, who will have that kind of age, so to speak, age advantage. And, but you just never, you just never give up. You know, what was that kind of internal, conversation that internal dialogue for you because there is obviously a vision there there's a there's there's a longer term vision and you know bring that to to, to light and, and what does that kind of look like on on a day-to-day -day basis you know through through the good days the struggles and you know but what keeps you going there was always a voice in my head when i, I was young um and i you know it it's a, it's a higher power, you know, however you want to interpret it. Mm -hmm. For me, it's, it's my Lord. And so I've always, I've always known that presence was there, even when I was a kid in the orphanage. Um, it was that word and that voice that was always a step ahead, always pushing me to, to be better. Uh, it was the one that convicted me whenever I, you know, I realized I did something wrong. Um, so whenever I went out to run, again and listen to you know to david goggins before my runs just go out there and pray that was that became almost blatantly obvious it's like you need to get back into wrestling mm. this is the path that was laid out for you this is where you're going to glorify the lord um and this is also gonna create more opportunities along the way uh for other things um but it also kept me it's, it's a path that keeps me humble because there's always somebody out there that's better. 
and just like being you know third or second constantly you mm -hmm. see you see who's who's ahead but it they're 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 better only because of uh circumstance a uh, small circumstance and and that's something that you can't really control mm -hmm. but because you're because i'm now you know in, in a place where i can grow a little bit more and i have access to the equipment to the training rooms uh, to the partners that are highly skilled mm -hmm. now i have a little bit more of that that control of where i'm going to finish and the vision really began in those runs mm -hmm. when i was out there and i was digging deep i was finding the goggins within the mm -hmm. hammer hammer mm -hmm. time yeah so, um, yeah and um and through that you know um it's, it's allowed me to slow down and really um see where where i need to grow in other areas business uh as a husband um on social media promoting you know motivational inspirational videos for for people diet is another you know another diet and nutrition is another area that's become huge mm -hmm. um and it allowed me to, to focus more on the technique rather than going in and focusing on will i will i make weight at this next tournament mm -hmm. you know diet really Diet really promotes a lot of our performance. Really does. And most people, you know, they 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 don't they don't even look at the importance of it. And so I, there's so many prong different prong approaches that you can take just from diet alone that's gonna help you, you know, develop faster than everybody else. I couldn't agree more. I think it's you know, and I wanted to kind of dial into that a little bit, you know, just to understand the the process. Uh, that it takes you know because connecting with that with 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 the creator being able to, to to channel that energy to connect with it you know and and to feel you know to feel that presence you know in in everyday life you know that's that's one thing right but we have to take the daily action you know the the creator will always guide us he'll always give us that you know that yes no you know keep going you know there is a reason why you're being challenged there's a reason why these things are happening it's all part of your growth it's all part of your message as you talked about wanting to inspire others but let's kind of channel into or just kind of dial into the nutrition part you know the the things that you're doing now to to get you to you know because you also being a sort of a, a peak performance uh coach um that's something that's so important, isn't it? You know, and it's something that I always look at and I'm so passionate and fascinated by because we are a mind, body, spirit complex, you know, and in prayer, in meditation, in breath work, we connect in body, body, mind, body, spirit, you know, and we allow ourselves to, to really kind of go within. But on a day to day here as the experience, which is us as, as a man, as a woman having this human experience, there are actions we need to take. You know, if we want to go into our goals, we've got to make sure we've got that clear mind. We've got to make sure that the mindset is is channeled, is taught in, in a certain way to allow us, even in the toughest time, to just accept and, and understand that it's okay, you know, not to kind of get taken by and think, oh, I'm crumbling. It's not about the crumble. It's about just going, okay, well, this is an experience. God, show me what this means. You know, where do I learn from this? You know, so talk to me about, how you fine tune the mind, you know, how do you then tune the the body with, with the nutrition? Cause that is something which is taking me years to learn. I'm going to be 43 this year and I had to fine tune, you know, my nutrition. I've been a vegan, I've been veggie. I've, 
I've eaten crap. I've struggled with my weight. I have a, a you know, a, thankfully not today. I, for years, I suffered from, from addiction and, you know, with food, alcohol, sex, drugs, I tried to, to kill myself. And so because of all of these things, I learned the, the, the importance, how incredible we are as, as, as individuals and talk on that, you know, a little bit, you know, especially with, with what you're doing and where you're going, the importance of really having that, that powerful mindset, but the nutrition piece, which, which I really want to hear and, and learn from you as well. Right. Uh, we, you mentioned that, the almost taking your life or attempting to take your life. That was something that I also faced when I was young. And in fact, I was in an orphanage when I did that. Mm. Um, so we're we're over that that uh, episode but we walked away with with a sense of self-worth that's undeniable now mm. and so that's part of the mindset uh when you start with your self-worth am i important enough that i'm gonna feed myself correctly uh whether it's reading the right material allowing the right stuff to go in through your eyes um eating the right foods, um, getting the right people in your life to speak into your life. Uh, all, all of that fills into the mindset. And it, it kind of, it you know, you, you can look at life, you know, as, as being like a, a raft, being swayed around, having mm -hmm. no sail, or you can add a sail to it, mm -hmm. right? And and the sail is, is what you, you have, you have, a direct uh how, how do i want to say this you have the ability to build it or allow it to set in for you um i guess i'm talking mo mostly on the boundary side like there's certain things that you can let in certain things that you don't want to let in so you have the ability and control to let those good things into your life. And that's going to allow you to build a sail, to travel wherever you want, navigate the world wherever you need. Yeah. So with regards to the diet aspect. So diet for me was was very interesting because I, whenever I was going through the sales and not working out in corporate and not working out often, mm -hmm. I was starting to gain, I wouldn't say I was trying to gain too much weight, but I, I was trying to get soft. And I didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> There's just something about it. I'm like, nah, I, I, I can't do this. Um, I get you. <laughs> so I started uh, tampering into different diets. Keto was one of them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, vegans, another one that's, that's really worked for me. Mm -hmm. uh, keto was the one where I definitely went in kind of off. I don't want to say off the deep end because it, it, it's meant for, it has its benefits. Mm -hmm. right but from a performance standpoint for me it it doesn't it's yeah. not sustainable so the vegan keto is what i typically work on and the reason i do that is because you want to be able to fuel your body not just for performance but also for mental clarity and, mm -hmm. and that, that mental performance as well focus everything that we digest um and all the the things that we need mentally it's all processed in the gut. Mm -hmm. And so your serotonin, your dopamine, all those neurotransmitters, that's produced in the gut. 
and mm-hmm. they're transferred up to, to the brain. And that's, you know, they're released, you know, throughout the body and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But then you also get um, the molecules that produce your testosterone or your, uh, what's what's the woman's called? Uh, I can't remember. Any, anyways, so you got your testosterone, your, your different types of hormones, mm-hmm. your regulators and everything like that. So once I started to really dive into the vegan diet, I started to understand, okay, so what are the things that are really going to help me push to get the keep me focused allow me to access peak performance and build stamina um and so so those were some some of the things that i looked into uh, i'm huge into cruciferous green vegetables uh they've allowed me to 10x my my testosterone production it's it's an enhancer i don't have to Mm -hmm. take trt or anything like that it's all natural comes from whole foods Mm -hmm. Uh, um, that in fact is great into a great look into ATP production. So when plants go in through photosynthesis, mm-hmm. they're creating ATP, which is the food and energy source for them to grow and to produce oxygen. And so we can actually do that in our own bodies. And one of the biohacks that I've also gotten into is um, red light therapy photo red light therapy uh, i've seen you post yeah i've seen you post around that yeah and so just recently there was um coach who was interviewed um i watched the interview he's the the head nutritionist for one of the programs that's been destroying the wrestling scene uh for the last 12 years i think they won 10 out of the last 12 years as a team and it's a very new team as well Mm -hmm. uh coaching but he looked into it. He was also into combat sports and he transitioned to um, uh, Ironman and, and running and swimming mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so he started to develop a, a system for diet and biohacking that promotes the ATP growth for these combat athletes. And all the athletes that are on the program, that they recently won the world championship for the US, all of them. Wow. And, they, they were all medalists. It was crazy. And so I started looking into it. And I was like, I'm actually doing this stuff, but I didn't realize there was a deeper level mm-hmm. into it. So the more research I, you know, I got, I dived into, the more I realized, oh, I see how he's accessing ATP production that, that helps our, our mitochondria mm-hmm. produce more testosterone, pr- produce more ATP, mm-hmm. um, helps uh, um, shorten our recovery cycles. Mm-hmm boost our stamina i got uh the training mask um mm-hmm. that helps with initially i got in there because i wanted to increase stamina mm-hmm. and it it does that very well um because it allows me to pull air it forces me to pull air yeah. d- deep into mm-hmm. the gut while mm-hmm. i'm competing mm-hmm. when i noticed you know wrestlers really they were neck and neck and they were going into overtime they were breathing with their guts. If you mm-hmm. go to the gym, you know, and they're, you see the guys lifting, they're breathing with their chest. They're trying to make themselves look big. Mm-hmm. But when, when you're in a combat scenario, you're not going to be breathing with your chest too, too mm-hmm. much. You're going to be taking as much, as much <laughs> oxygen as you can win. So I started noticing the difference and I was like, okay, well, this obviously has a benefit to it. I'm going to start using it. It's increased mm-hmm. my stamina like tenfold. But then I did more research on it and it produces... Uh, it enhances your human growth hormone. Mm-hmm. 
is basically a natural PED that your body on produces on its own. Yeah. You don't have to look for, you know, the supplements to do it. Your body generates it all. Your, your hypothalamus is like your pharmacy. Yeah. You have to know how to access the pharmacy. Yeah. And it's very powerful. You're talking about breathing there and using a mask. Cause I got into breath work, mm-hmm. which is something where that whilst I was doing MMA and I did CrossFit, I knew actually when I was kind of finishing off CrossFit, I started to learn about breath work and honestly it changed my life and it's probably been about maybe about three four years now that i've been doing it daily and i use it on a daily basis i teach now and i do it in a ceremonial perspective as well with uh so breathwork therapy and healing and honestly peter i cannot stress it enough uh, especially for from a competitive and sports perspective doing a breathwork as you mentioned about breathing into the belly um, there are certain types of breath that you can use that not only helps to expand the belly, but also then to expand the chest and it, and it actually helps to, to grow and fortify the, the, the lungs. Um, so you can, uh, you actually breathe. I know it kind of doesn't make too much sense, but cause you've expanded the lungs so much. And I found this myself, actually, I sometimes can uh, breathe less. I don't yeah. need to 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 breathe as and I consciously breathe, obviously, because sometimes people shallow breathe. But I don't mean in a sense of that. It's because I've I've taught my body now to, uh, as you do with the mask, you 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 pull so much air in. You force the body to pull so much oxygen in that you know you're allowing your strength. You're basically it's like doing uh, bicep curls for the lungs, right? And yeah. it's it's the same thing. And I've noticed this. I put it to the test where I, I literally just keep my mouth shut. I'll push myself towards uh, towards the end of a workout and I'm gasping, I'm blowing out of my ass. And um, but what I do is I close my mouth, close my mouth and I do not breathe through the nose. If my nose is blocked, it's, I'm either going to breathe through it or I'm going to pass out. But I've learned to do that, which is the same kind of effect as maybe what that mask does, but it's just channeling that breath through the belly and just allowing the body to also then relax at the same time, which has helped me to recover quicker when I'm actually working out now. I consciously try to breathe through the nose. And you talked about, you know, when you're yeah. wrestling, because you're so close to someone and, you know, and because you're moving from so many different directions, it was the same in kind of MMA or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, where you're probably a little bit more closer when you're grappling. Um, I found it as well. I know you always like to train with the heavier guys. I'm probably about, 85 kilos now i think which is probably about what 185 i think um yeah about 185 and i like to train with the heavier guys the 90 100 kilo guys just to kind of you know to help me so having a 100 kilo guy on top of you as you probably know from wrestling is not fun but allowing myself to breathe through the nose through that at the same time one of the biggest things that i learn and i'd love you to to kind of speak on this is to learn to stay relaxed. And this is that mastery of the mind, body, spirit. Even in that in that tough times when you're challenging, and, 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 I, and this is where I want to hear your review, you know, when you're competing, do you kind of use the same formulas? Like how does that kind of work for, for you? So going back to when I was competing in my very first state championship, and I was part, I, I was, I had to face the wrestler who became the national champ. I realized there was a different pace 
that he was operating in and it was calm it wasn't frantic he wasn't rigid he was calm collected and almost fluid like you know whenever he needed to tense up he he would tense up especially if i would try and go in on a shot he'd make himself a break wall but that was the only instance where he was like he was rigid mm. right so as i further developed in wrestling i i started to calm down i started to breathe in through the nose more often all my opponents were always breathing through the mouth and i would always tell them like like even in wrestling practice even now kids who are, who are wrestling up there now that i train with mm -hmm. they'll be breathing with their mouth i'm like breathe in through your nose mm -hmm. you get 20 percent more oxygen if you just breathe in with your nose mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and these guys are calm right they're wrestling and they're calm they're they're in flow but they could just access a little bit more it can level up everybody's game in that room right and so that's that's what i try and, and teach uh whenever i was coaching kids in high school mm -hmm. that's what i would teach them and but before i would mention any of that i would wrestle them first mm -hmm. and, and and just to kind of gauge where they were at but then also ask questions after we were done with our little sparring session and mm -hmm. see what they learned from me and and almost every single time everybody was like you were so calm why why are you so calm yeah. i was like because i'm breathing through my nose yeah. not i don't have to stress mm. when, when you guys get to a point right now you're still fairly new to the sport so i, I understand the rigidness and the frantic and the anxious movements and everything but if you just slow everything down and just breathe breathe through your nose out through your mouth and through your nose deep breaths in through your nose. That's it. Mm. It'll change your, your whole performance. Mm. It'll slow everything down. Everybody else is going to, is tra traveling at high speed. They have trouble slowing down. Mm. If they see you shooting in with a slow shot, they're still going all frantic, mm. right? They'll open themselves up to more opportunities for you to score. So mm. you just keep calm, collected, and you just develop from there. Slow so, yeah, everything down. That, that is uh, so so when you were explaining that i was like yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah do you have any any practices around breathing breath work is there something that's kind of part of your of your routine or even you know meditation kind of quieting the mind i do the cold plunges oh i love those <laughs> i used to hate them <laughs> i did too uh i used to hate the cold weather yeah uh, this is actually I hated the cold weather even when I was at OK State my first year back in 2011. Mm -hmm. And whenever I came back home um, from school, I went to the University of North Texas and we had a major freeze. It, it froze all of Texas for about two weeks, mm -hmm. just iced over. The roads were iced over. Nobody could get to the university. The university was closed. It was during finals week. And I remember... Um, I just, I just, I never liked the cold. And I had to take the trash out that day. And the trash was just right out, out the, the garage door. But we have the side door that we just walk and throw it in. And there was ice on the ground and it was sunny. And I was shirtless in my pajamas, but I did not have socks on. And I was like, oh, great. I have to walk 10 feet to get to that trash bin. It was like a 20 feet or, or, or a 10 yard uh, distance. And I, as I was sitting there, I was like, 
it actually feels nice out here. Mm-hmm. And the, the area that I was standing in just right out the door, it has a little, a little bit of an awning. So there was no ice or anything there. So the, the heat from the sun was actually warming that spot. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was standing in the warm spot, just kind of just enjoying the cold for the first time. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, I need to take this trash. Let me just walk on the ice real quick. I started stepping on the ice. I was like, oh, that's cold, that's cold, that's cold. I run over to the, and put the trash into the bin. And as I'm walking back, and I step back on the on the warmth, I was like, that wasn't too bad. Hmm. And so I was like, let me just try just sitting here, standing on the ice, see how long I can stand for. And so it, it was just something that just, it, it just random, just stopped my, whatever I was doing. So hmm. I was being present, and I just stood there. And what I realized was I can actually enjoy the cold when there's sun. And even now in retrospect, that's, that's infrared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Infrared light. That's igniting and supercharging the mitochondria. Mm. But even, and I'm able to kind of just get past that and just stand in that, that on that ice block, basically no problem. And so even in that moment, I started breathing slowly. And it's it's all, it's funny because like, I, I didn't even think about that till now. All mm. three practices are in that one moment. Mm. I, I'm In retrospect, I just, I'm just now putting it, all the pieces together. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's powerful, right? Because a lot of the things uh, that we, that we practice as well, you know, we get that nice, that beautiful race from the sun. You know, that's why they talk about, you know, make sure you get that sunshine, do that cold plunge, you know, like right. these things, you know, it talks about kind of that might, again, it brings us back, doesn't it, to the mind, body, spirit, because you touched, you touched on earlier about how we are our own pharmacy, you know, effectively. Um, and we are, you know, we are through the breath. We are through the mind, change the mindset, you change the narrative, you know, the breath helps us to, to, to not only stay alive, but it also helps us to, to, to heal, to expand the lungs, to, to perform better, you know, in just in kind of day-to-day life. But you, you, you know, you've shown there even from a high level performance and in nutrition, which for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're looking at what 70, 80%, you know, when, when you're looking at, if you dial in that, that, that nutrition on, on a daily basis is 70% of, of the, the work that you do. And, I remember looking at that. I thought it was the other way around. It's like I need to train more and then not worry too much about my nutrition. And and I was and I was like, still soft, you know. And then I changed that around and found something that that sort of worked for me. And now it's you know things changed completely, you know. And it's it's powerful what you said there about you know just kind of being in the sun, being out in nature, you know. So you kind of got you got the breath, you've got the sun, you've got the ice, you know, and yeah. all of these things all in one place, right? Which is, um, you know, is so important for 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 what we do. Um, talk to me about the this the the, the goal for you, you know, the 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 next few things now because you you've obviously got this huge passion for 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 wrestling. You you know you're you're now at this. You've kind of found your home. You know, am I am I right in saying that? You know, you sort of found your home again, and what's what's that end goal for you? You know, what's the must-have? Like, there's no negotiation here. I've got to do this. The must-have is gold in Paris, the Olympics next year, 2024. So there are many there are many things that I have to knock out along the way. So there are the many goals or the many peaks. 
that are within reach. Mm -hmm. uh, they have we have a U.S. Open that's coming up. It's mm -hmm. in Las Vegas. So I make I make the top seven. I get into the team trials. Team trials. I have to have to win it to make the American spot. Win worlds. I have a team trials for Costa Rica. It's the only tournament that they have this you know this year. They don't have any other tournaments in between. Mm -hmm. So luckily that comes after our team trials. So uh, once I wrestle for both, I you know I, I have a decision whether I want to go represent Costa Rica or or the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, yeah, the next year we go back through another season, just like this one. Mm -hmm. We have more time to grow, and um, yeah, it'll be interesting because uh, the the guys that are in the room they they developed much more. A, a lot of them are young guys, mm -hmm. so, so the room's there for me to grow even mm -hmm. more. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, the ultimate goal is Paris twenty twenty four. Mm. and how yeah. how do you how do you feel about it in kind of where you are right now and even as a you know as a as a coach you know you you and and i'm sure you you kind of agree with me you know we all we can all eat you know our bowl of bs sometimes you know but we can also sometimes have to put that down and say do you know what this means that much to me that i will sacrifice everything to, to, to reach that goal. And right. it seems that you've, you know, you, you, you've done that, you know, with giving it up for 11 years, you know, fulfilling other people's dreams, which many of us do, right. We go off and you know, this is what I've always wanted to do in my life. <laughs> and I gave it up for, you know, for, for, for years for as a teenager. And now it's something that I reconnected with and, what does that kind of like look for, for, for you? Like, you know, bring us into, you know, into that mind and, you know, and, and into the journey. Well, back when I, when I, when I was made faced with that, the, uh, it's not a the dilemma. It's a, it's, it's an ultimatum, mm -hmm. right? You do this mm -hmm. or you do that. You can't, mm -hmm. you can't have best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. You have to, in retrospect, I didn't have, the self-assurance in my self-belief in myself to do or stand up for what it is that I wanted to do. So falling back on and pursuing somebody else's dream was an actual, an easier task. I would say it was the, the lesser of the two. And so whenever, you know, for anybody who's, who's going to be watching this, if you find yourself in that situation, just stop and think like, is this what I really want to do? Is this what God put me on this earth to do? Is this going to be the, is this going to make, allow me to access the best version of myself? Um, and if it's not then there's no, there no reason for you to pursue somebody else's dreams, pursue what you know is good for you. Mm. And, what you know, it's going to be tough to achieve what you know is going to be full of hardships and full of challenges. And, um, you know, you're gonna put all your all your cards in. You're gonna be all in on on the one thing that's that's your plan A, not your plan B. <laughs> Amen to that, man. Amen to that. And I'll, I'll be in Paris to watch you. <laughs> it's an hour and a half away for us, so yeah. As soon as you let us know, man, we'll all be there. We'll all be well, there to. It'll definitely be somewhere. You know, Erica's always wanted to go to Paris. She's traveled most of the world. Just mm. you know, she was a. Uh, military contractors 
daughter. So, but uh, Paris has been one of the places she hasn't been in certain places in, in Italy mm -hmm. uh, that I've been to and, you know, that I haven't been to that she's dreamed about going. Mm -hmm. So that it's, it's, it's going to be a, we're going to be crossing some, crossing off some bucket list items on, on that trip. Oh, for sure. But uh, yeah, but uh, also with the, uh, I, I, I don't feel like I answered your question entirely when you asked me about the breathing and the, the cold plunging mm -hmm. Vim Hof was the one who I looked up initially mm -hmm. and I found him because I was on YouTube looking for, you know, supernatural human beings that were documented. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I was doing that, but I guess I was on break. It was around that same time. Mm -hmm. And Vim Hof was one of them. He was known as the Iceman. Yeah. And I was like, maybe this is what he went through initially and got into his breathing. But well, I, I didn't realize he did the breathing work aspect mm. of it. Mm. Uh, so I was able to connect those dots later down the road. Um and realize that he he did it from from developing a uh, a mind that's that's going to be promoting you in a positive way. It, it's like an antidepressant. Yeah. So it puts mm. you in the press because yeah. I believe his wife committed suicide or was depressed or something. And that's right. Yeah. Something that he was like, it's not going to happen to anybody else. I'm going to mm. put out the word. It's my vision. Mm. This is how I'm able to do it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Breathing does a lot. So just breathe in that moment too. Breathe, yeah. stop and breathe. Yeah, hundred percent. I think one of the, you know, I um I try to kind of practice and play with 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 the breath and always do different things. And I love my daughter. She's you know she's she's amazing. She loves to breathe, and we taught her to 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 breathe as well. She's four <laughs> every now and then. If she sees mommy getting a bit stressed, she'll go, right, mommy, just take a breath. <laughs> she would tell us to take breaths. Come on, daddy, take a big breath. If she knows <laughs> I'm going to tell her off, she, she'll say to me, right, daddy, take a big breath. <laughs> so she knows. And But how amazing is that? Because, you yeah. know, our children are our biggest teachers, you know, and and it's phenomenal that we get to teach them, but they teach us so much, so much more. And, you know, I, um, I found through, you know, through the breathing, doing a cold plunge, because like you, I, oh, man, it was just not an experience. I wanted to do it, but I went through, um, I was doing a lot of healing and I went to do some plant medicine work and the shaman who I was working with had worked with him previously, did another plant medicine, which literally sent me to, to our creator. I've never experienced anything like that in my life and went, right, I want some more of this stuff. Like this, this stuff is incredible. So I started learning about, you know, the the breath, started, you know, um, just mastering it, really kind of understanding what what can this breath do, you know, without the the plant medicine. And I've had similar experiences with egg as well. And, it, and it's been phenomenal. But one day I went to do another, another ceremony. And by this point he had built a, um, a sauna so we can do the hot and cold. And he had had like four big, massive wine barrels, which he had had bought in and he mm -hmm. turned them into cold plunges. And he's like, wow. come on, you've got to, you know, you've, you've got to come and do this. You know, you said you wanted to do it. And, and he knows me. I'm, 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 I'm all in or I'm all out. 
So when I come in to do a ceremony with him or I come and do some coaching or someone programs for me, I'm all in or I'm all out. Like I don't tiptoe. I I used to do things like that. And I'm like, now that's my. So he said to me, right, this is the plan for today. This is what we're going to be doing. And he said, right, so we're going to do a little bit of breathing. We'll do some happy, blah, 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 blah. So I said, okay, cool. And then we'll go into the cold plunge. We'll go and do the hot and cold. Then we'll come back in here. We'll serve the medicine and do some breathing. (laughs) So I was like, I heard everything. And I was like, cool with everything. As soon as he went cold plunge and he said 10 minutes, I was like, nah, mate, no, no, not going to happen. But God has a plan. God has a plan. (laughs) God paired me up with with a Polish man (laughs) who's a friend as well. I love him. Anyway, come on, I'll come with you. Have you done this before? And he's like, oh, yeah, in Poland, we used to sing like minus 20. So for him, it was nothing. What about you? I said, this is my first time. And I was like, I'll do it with you. And honestly, just, you know, you're talking about having a partner there. It's yeah. so powerful, isn't it? It's even through fear, when when you're worried, when you're when you're scared, or you don't know what's going to happen, and my mind for some reason thought that something bad was going to happen, that I was going to get sick. But I knew through the healing process that that wasn't my fear. It was fear that was passed down to me, which I remembered in different ways, and now it, it manifested into this. So I went, all right, trust the process. Let's go. You're on this journey. And we, I jumped on this thing, and honestly, Peter, I was shaking. I was sh- violently shaking. But I remember just thinking, breathe, slow the breath down, really slow it down. And then I started talking to my to my friend. Next thing you know, I was like, oh, we up. He's like, yeah, ten minutes, let's go. So we jumped in in the sauna, and I actually then jumped back in again, which was amazing. So we did the sauna one more time, and then I went off, and you know, we did we did the plant medicine, and and went off on this incredible journey so this is the it is powerful isn't it like when we allow ourselves to overcome the fear um which sort of brings me to 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 this 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 question is you know what do you do you know when when you're faced with with fear you know we've got you you've got so many incredible goals so many things that you that you know you will have to to kind of overcome what steps do you take? What routines? You know, what what what's the thing that you? What's your go to? You know, when 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 fear just kicks in. I go to that voice, in my head. It's uh, it's interesting. I I don't really. There's not a like a, a definite fear that I experience. Often, like I don't really experience worry. I'm very carefree. At least I like to think I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, I, I do get frustrated, you know, pretty easily. Or I would say I'm I'm easily irritable by you know, certain sounds that, are, that I don't have control of. Right? But whenever it comes to fear, there's not a lot that I fear. Um, so, and I, I, I guess... To kind of tie it into to what you're saying is maybe it's the fear of the outcome that I won't produce the way I need to, mm-hmm. right? I go in with everything that I do now and for this next full year, gold medal effort, gold medal effort. I found myself at the um, at the U.S. Open last year. There's a Masters 
um, level, which is 25 and up, up to 30. Mm-hmm. And I was it, I was in that range, age, age range. And so I wrestled and I remember my first match, I get put on my back and I'm about to get pinned. And I arch and I remember in that moment, I just, I started praying because I didn't want to get pinned. But I remember saying to God, Lord, I did not come all this way to get pinned my first match. And so I just, I just, I was just sitting there just talking to him in my mind. And next thing you know, like he's trying to hook my leg and I use, and I can't even see his leg. I'm just, what, I'm sure you, you know this from experience from grappling and wrestling. Like you start, you start seeing things like you start feeling mm. with your limbs. Mm. Like they almost have a mind of, of their own. It's like, oh, there's the leverage that I need. And I was able to hook his ankle and flip him. And then he got pinned and just kind of just, just, you know, turk him. And I remember at that, that moment, I I just, I stood up and I said, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Like, <laughs> allowed me to slow down, not freak out. Mm. Um, but I, I do remember my mindset wasn't like that initially. It, it, it was always going in and just, Go in and perform like you've trained, you know, train to win, always train to win. And, but as I've, I've developed this year with the wrestling team, the new, I guess, and over the new year, right? The, everybody comes out with a, with a new year word. It's going to be the, the word for the year. Mine's, mm-hmm. mine's execution. And it's, it's really execute on, Every level, gold medal opportunity. This is the gold medal match. So whenever we do stadiums, we run stadiums back, you know, staircase after practice. Every single spurt is a gold medal spurt mm. because you'll have like 20 seconds where you'll either be behind or ahead by a point. Mm. And those 20 seconds... It's a lot of time for them to score on you. Mm. A lot of time for them to avoid being scored on. So for me, it's it's just overcoming the fear mentally first. It's like it's almost not not even there. It's like oh, this fear. It's like it's just an it's just a distraction. I don't even see it as fear. It's just a distraction. It's just like it's just a blinking light, whatever no need it's like it's like if, if i'm driving a car hmm. and then, and i'm low on gas and the light comes on it's like i still got 30 miles to go hmm. right okay. I'm find a gas station hmm. there's no rush I don't, I don't need to pull off and exit right now hmm. so it's just being able to slow down the scenario breathe hmm. just know that if you're operating in the right mindset things t- tend to go your way Mm. so I, it was actually very it's, honestly this happened this week thank you jesus um i had a an order come in we my wife and i we started a juicing company mm-hmm. and um it's allowed me to, to manage my weight a whole a lot more easily but also other people and other coaches are into it because they know they're getting the nutrition that they need, they need mm-hmm. to recover and you know be mentally focused and everything and I have, I went, we were short on apples. And so I, I go to the store 
and I have to get gas also. And um, I get distracted by my phone as I'm as I'm getting gas, and I leave the keys in the ignition, not not on. I actually turn off the the car, mm. but then I I I close the door and I lock it, and I go and I I pay for gas, and I come back out. It's like oh, great can't get into my car and my other car is like not drivable at, at the moment so my mm. wife can't come over you know <laughs> get the spare and i'm like five minutes away or like not uh, t- 10 minutes away driving wise and i'm like she can't even i might as well run home mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but there's this guy there and I, i'm not too worried but i'm on a time crunch mm. there's this guy there who's working on the on the gas machine on the on the actual uh, gas pump mm-hmm. and I was like excuse me sir do you by chance have a hanger or anything that I can I can get my car locked with he's like oh, you locked yourself out he's like let here let me get you some stuff and he put together like this little this, he took a hook off one of the little j-hook straps and tied it onto this long pole and he he helped unhook it and I was like thank you sir like can i get you a beer or anything like what's your favorite beer he's like no no don't, don't worry about it i mean he spent like 20 minutes working on you know helping me out and it's it's starting to get cold outside and i don't get bothered by the cold mm. but it's starting to get cold outside yeah. <laughs> shorts i'm in a short short sleeve shirt he's in like a pullover two layers and he's he's fine you know yeah i'm just like oh man <laughs> Hey, it's getting taken care of. That's that's all that matters. I'm just worried about gassing up the car. I'm not even cold right now. <laughs> so, but yeah, there was I I didn't experience fear at all. I was the, the, more for me there was like, okay, as soon as I get home, all I know is I have to, I have to operate a little bit faster. So I have to mm-hmm. be very focused. Mm-hmm. So I actually that that inconvenience actually motivated me to produce mm-hmm. at a higher level mm-hmm. so i guess you could probably just i guess i want people to walk away it's like if you experience fear don't just see it as a simple distraction or as a motivation mm-hmm. to push it along mm-hmm. and it's how you interpret it right then and there not yeah. not all fears can be handled right there right then and there so mm-hmm. it's like the, the gas light that comes on while you're driving you mm-hmm. don't need to take the next exit Mm. Yeah, get to where you need to go and then take care of business like it yeah and and that's so important i think and and i love that because so many people are so much more reactive you know than than anything else you know we especially in society as well over the last couple of years everything that's been happening you know it seems that and this is the reason why i asked around fear because there's been so much fear that's been produced and so much trauma that has has come out of of this um you know, and, and it's important for people to always hear a, a message, you know, that staying focused, staying in the now, staying in a moment, you know, observing the things that are, one of the things I always say is control what you can, what you cannot control, except, you know, and it's exactly what you said, you know, the red light comes on. There's no gas stations right now, but I know I've got about 30 miles and I can keep going. So let's keep mm-hmm. going. Then we find a solution. You know, and um, I've got one last question, which I'd love to ask before we we wrap up. What did you learn or what have you learned through all this time, through your toughest time? What did your toughest time in your life 
teach you? I'm trying to think of my toughest time. I would say my toughest time was probably when I came back home from Okie State the first go around. Because I hit a major depression. It, it, it wasn't where a depression where I was, you know, thinking about killing myself or anything on that front. Because I mm -hmm. that was something that I already dealt with as a young mm -hmm. as a youngster. And so that that was something that I was never going to access ever again. Because mm -hmm. I knew my self-worth from that point. But there there are different depressions where you want to do certain things and you just don't, the doors aren't opening for you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was, I was very depressed. Um, in fact, whenever I first started coping with drugs was when I came home, um, I think it was during, yeah, it was during winter break and it was the first semester after the first semester and I failed my Spanish class where I, I made a D. I, 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 I didn't pass it. And so my parents were upset. And my mother, adopted mother, said, is this what we adopted you for? And I was like, like, I was just like really triggered, I guess. Yeah. Why would you say that? Is this why we adopted you for? It's like, well, what am I, a pony? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. By this race course that you've been developing, the yeah. you know, races, and, you know? So that was the, that I remember after that one experience, that's when I first smoked marijuana, when I first coped okay. with drugs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I it, it was my escape for a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah smoking marijuana but luckily now I'm, I'm over that i i don't i don't need it i used to, to do it just whenever i would you know recreationally go and wrestle mm -hmm. it just allowed me to be loose mm -hmm. allowed me to be you know just to step away from the rest of the worries of the world mm -hmm. so but now i don't know i i, I came out of it much stronger and, and really what allowed me to come out of it stronger was meeting Erica. It was mm. interesting because I was on this spiral, downward spiral. Yeah. And you, even when I went for my study abroad, you know, I'd, I would do the best that I could just to avoid, but it would always find some way, some way in. I didn't mm. have much of a willpower mm -hmm. against it. Mm. alcohol, drugs, you know, whatever mm. it was. Mm. So, you know, when I first met Erica, we met in a dance room, ball, ballroom dance. And what initially got me there was because, you know, I was in Spain, people were dancing a lot of salsa and, you know, all these Latin dances. And I didn't mm. know a single, you know, step. <laughs> right. At all. And that's you how just you, had, you just had the good looks. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, even then, I mean, if I, like I couldn't dance or, you know, um, you know, um, show them off, right? Yeah. Show them all off, and it didn't really do anything. So, when I came back from Spain, I was, I was bolder because of my Spanish. It allowed me to access 
uh, a different uh, extrovertedness that I, I I I guess I forgot I had, and then mm -hmm. this is probably what they saw in me when I was little too. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, as I started to get to know her more and more, she you know she was showing me things like I would go to these EDM festivals, mm -hmm. right, and you know they promote it with plur. Uh, plural it's like peace love unity respect mm -hmm. but he's on drugs mm. you know and if you don't share if this kid is not sharing you know that alcohol with this person and that there's a there's a uh, tension there mm. right if uh girls are being passed around the same groups it's it was weird mm. and i wasn't that deep into it but i was i was aware of what was going on and i i invited a good her to go to one of them and and then i kind of closed it off because then i realized no i don't, I don't want her to experience that mm. but the reason i closed it off was because she told me like well is 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 that how you want me to feel you want me to be objectified by all these people i'm gonna be i'm gonna be there dressed Mm -hmm. fully dressed i'm not gonna go in pasties or bikinis or whatever fishnets but you'll find that people are going to objectify regardless mm -hmm. and then they're going to try and push drugs your way or my way yeah and i was like yeah you that's exactly what's going to happen heck mm -hmm. no let's not go there mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go to this random fountain in the city and just dance merengue here something yeah so you know we, we we would find fun things to do that were just we didn't even have to pay for it it was just out there yeah you know? it's like the essence of being carefree mm. we'd go in uh to the we went to this tree house reserve like this, these people built these tree houses and they held them up like airbnbs and stuff you can rent them oh, out for wow. days. and so we went and experienced that it's hotter hell down there in austin we did it over the summer and that's when they were the cheapest and i was like yeah we're fine. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean as i as i as our relationship you know developed and matured i began to see more and more of what the world world really was especially in mm -hmm. these environments and i was like yeah i don't want to take any part in this there's mm -hmm. Um, this is what was pulling me in. This is what I was coping with. Mm. And I didn't realize it was actually taking me deeper and deeper into a depression that I didn't want to keep going down. Mm. So, you know, it's very strategic of God. Yeah, man. The way he puts women in our, in our worlds. Isn't it funny? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, you, and, and it's so funny how you mentioned Erica there and what you were going through, because exactly the same thing happened with me and Lucy, my wife. Okay. So strange. Yeah. So I was in my, towards the end of my addiction, 10 years, I was just, I was off and I was coming towards the end of it, but I was living to die. You know, I'd had overdoses and didn't stop, tried to commit suicide, didn't stop. And uh, it got to the point for me where I was like, F it, 
you know, let's just go. You know, I'm just going to keep going. I don't care. I've got nothing to to live for, which was a complete lie, complete lie that, you know, that fear and ego tells itself, you know, to justify continuing on this journey. And that's what I learned. And um, being a, you know, cross addicting addict, I was messing around on a dating app and yeah, we, we matched. And uh, next thing you know, we uh, we met on a first date. She told me she was in a 12-step program and she started talking to me all about it. And here we are, you know, we're going to be actually 25th of March, It'll be seven years since we've met. And we started a business together and we've got two beautiful children, got this incredible home and I get to do this, you know, and meet incredible people like you. And and I was that man that I was done. I was, you know, and, and when I made that that decision for me, which that was my toughest decision, you know, the toughest point that I've been through was, you know, Lucy had to put a boundary in place, which is something you mentioned. You talked about boundaries and she knew all about boundaries. I knew nothing about boundaries. I had barriers, you know. So for me, emotionally, I was just, you know, I was all over the place. And but what she did teach me is that, boundaries about having self-love self-care self-respect putting you first and when you do that you have that ultimate respect for yourself and i never felt rejected by her if anything it drew me to her even more and i knew i had to make two decisions live die that was it i finished eating that bowl of bs by this point you know almost and i made a decision and said you know what enough is enough and you know this year with with god's guidance and continuing to do this work i'll be seven years clean and sober you know so um where can people find you man how can they get inspired by you how can they connect with you how can they learn more and more about you well um definitely you can find me on linkedin peter lewis hammer peak performance strategist and then you can find me on uh, instagram I'm very active on Instagram. I like to post a lot of the the wrestling uh, updates, the Warhammer Juices, the company my wife and I started, mm. and then some of the biohacks. Um, I'll post those in as well with some links to those products. Um, but that'll be under Pistol Pete Hammer. And Pistol Pete happens to be the mascot for OK State. And I've had that handle since, <laughs> since I left OK State. I've that became a nickname of mine, but yeah, Pistol Pete Hammer. Pistol uh, Pete Hammer. <laughs> Here we go, man. Listen, thank you so much for, thank you so much for today. You know, just kind of taking us on on this journey, connecting with you further, and uh, let's do it again. There's so many other things I wanna, I wanna oh, kind yeah. of get into, and this um, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I know that there's so much more, so much more. And, uh, but I think we should, you know, we should definitely do a, a part two and really go into, into some, some further stuff. Cause we, we, you know, we'll for sure help some more people. So look, thank you so much. And, uh, we'll, we'll catch up very soon guys, as always, thank you so much for, for listening, for being a part of, of this, this show, support Pete and everything that, that he does and feel free to reach out to him, connect with him and learn more and more and more about what he does and uh, always remember like subscribe put your comments down and if you want us to to kind of do this again and go into a topic a lot more let us know i'll speak to you again very soon take care